I needed every one of those days I served to feel like what it was like to find my purpose in life, which I've done, and that's to help others. So if I can help one kid from going down the path I went, hopefully many more, but my goal now is to do some motivational speaking, hopefully when this COVID is over and help people. I'm not money driven anymore. I lost 19 years chasing the dollar. You know, now, you know, I'm sure the universe will give me abundance when the time is right, but until then, I'm going to do me. I'm going to help people. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. Through this podcast, we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. If you're a YTP junkie, then you've heard me say many times that we are all here on purpose. There are no mistakes in this universe, and no matter what your life circumstances may be, you are never off your path. Everything is always moving you towards your highest expression. We have an addiction in this world to label everything and everyone. We hold opinions about where people are versus where we think they should be. We judge people for their actions and behaviors and all the while ignoring that life itself is a spiritual path that loves us unconditionally and we are all heading in the same direction. For some, the path comes with extreme intensity while others seem to cruise the ways of life from a seat of comfort. But remember, until we walk in another's shoes, we are only seeing what makes sense to us through the filter of our own mind. Today, we are graced with the presence of a beautiful man with a compassionate heart who for many years lived a life of crime and violence through a massively constricted heart. Anthony Bucci's actions caught up with him in his 30s when he received a 19-year sentence in federal prison. While in solitary confinement, a place that he was no stranger to during his time in prison, he experienced a spiritual awakening, and from that moment on, he steered his focus towards a new life, the one he lives today. It's a life of kindness, vulnerability, service, and non-harm. He's dedicated to assisting others and raising awareness of the natural alignment of eating a vegan diet. We have been eagerly awaiting this conversation, and we are so grateful to be connected with meaningful stories such as his. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi, Jess. Hi, BJ. Much respect. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so good to have you here. I, As you know, I first heard you um, on the Vegan Danielle podcast, and gosh, maybe it was like five words in, and I knew that we had to I knew that we had to connect deeper. I knew that um, I wanted to share your story because there was there was this kindness about you that was so evident. And to live a life for so many years that was in contrast to that, I think it's um it's just such a it's such a truth that so many people live like under this almost like this delusion, right? Um, and it goes against our nature and it closes us off to who we truly are. And you're discovering that, like who you truly are and, and happiness coming from within, but you had to find your way here through a pretty intense story. And so I'd like to open the podcast with you sharing your story. Where would you like me to begin? Childhood? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, whatever like that first thing is that comes to mind, just go with that. Okay, well, I grew up second-generation Italian home. 
the, the uh, man of the house was to provide to put food on the table, clothing, good house over the head, and you were a real man. So that's the way I lived for many, many years. I had some role models around me that I followed, and I, it was the wrong path. So it took two prison sentences to awaken me. The first one was 41 months. The second one, I got 21 years. Chip on my shoulder the second time in. Like you said, I was getting in a lot of trouble. Between the two sentences, I had about three years of solitary confinement under my belt. I knew I couldn't do anymore. I disappointed too many people. So I made it, I went to solitary confinement. It was either not come out alive or change my life. And I chose the second. I did a 180. I've been following that to the wheels fall off right now. Never going back. And how did that belief system that, you know, the man provided, how did that influence your role as a husband and a dad like did that give you i mean i guess i'm leading you in this question but you know did that give you certain permissions to to live in a way as long as you were putting you know a roof over their head and food on their plate that's exactly how i felt i felt as long i was a great father great husband even though i was never around I wasn't there to talk to my kids. I wasn't there. Like if they woke up in the middle of the night, it was always the mother, my ex-wife, you know, holding the baton. So, you know, I had a lot of years to reflect upon it when I got to prison. And then I did a lot of reading and soul searching. And then I realized how much of a selfish human being I was. The path I was going in was definitely the wrong direction. And you can't have ever have time back. Time is so precious. So rather than look in the rearview mirror that when I had my spiritual awakening, I decided to go down the right path and try to make up to, you know, with my kids and society the best I could. And that's what I'm doing today. And I want to, I want you to share that story about the spiritual awakening, but let's give our listeners a little um, detail if, if you're open to share, like, what were these two prison sentences? The first one, like what got you there? Well, I was plant-based for a long time. I just didn't know it. The first time was a distribution of marijuana, a plant. And the second time was cocaine, coca, another plant. (laughs) So those are the two sentences. How did you get involved with that? How did you get involved with selling drugs? Was it... People that you just knew that you grew up with? Did you spend a lot of time as a kid, you know, outside of the home? Or how do you think, like, where do you see your life taking that direction? Well, at a very young age, my mother took us out of a very abusive household. She worked three jobs, so I was running the streets young. I had some role models, like I said, that weren't uh, pillars of the community. So I followed that direction. I mean, I love them, you know. My cousin, he's not alive anymore, but he was ruthless. He was a gangster. And, you know, that's all I knew. What was that, um, what was that moment in, um, in confinement? I think it was solitary confinement that you had that shift. Like, where was that? The, can you pinpoint an exact moment where you were like, ah, oh, this, I can't be doing this. 
yeah, I hit rock bottom. My wife had just left me. Uh, my children were mad at me, you know, second time in prison. They were upset with me. My friends had all fallen off the map. I got in trouble. And like I said, it was at that moment, I said, you know, either I'm not coming out of here alive or I'm going to change my life. And I said, God, please give me a sign. And a minute later, I got a knock on my door. It was a prison guard. I was in Pennsylvania by the West Virginia border for over 500 miles from home. And this guard was from my area, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. I had knew him from another prison. He knocked on the door. He was doing an overtime shift. It was like all, all the stars were aligned. And he started offering me paper. And I was like lying on my bunk in a, you know, in a six by 10 cell alone where I would be for months. I had, like I said, three years under my belt. And I was like, I'm all set. And he's like, come on, Bucci, come get some paper. You can't survive in here just exercising. And, you know, so I was like, that's when it hit me. I was like, I've always wanted to write a book. I was always good at writing. I said, this will occupy my mind. And I started writing Infinity Crew, my book, my masterpiece, and it saved my life. And that was the defining moment in my decision to change. Did you have, um, because, wow, that's just like, you know, I think all the stars did align, right? And you were able to see that up until that moment, what was occupying your mind? Being a ruthless thug mm. yeah, before I got in trouble. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know what I mean? But all you meant at that moment then. Yeah, I, I guess I guess it. you're in prison and you're and you know this guy came and gave you paper and you're like, well, I'm a good writer. I should begin to you know put down on paper what I what I'm thinking about. What was yeah? What was what was in your mind because you were probably in solitary confinement for a little while before that. Like, what what were you think about all day? You want to be honest with you? Ending it, giving up, not going on. You know, like, like I said, I disappointed so many people. You know, I didn't want to continue on that path. Prison the first time you got 41 months. And did that change you at all? That was crime school. That was like a slap <laughs> on the wrist. That was a slap on the wrist for a guy like me. I didn't learn a thing other than make contacts and meet, you know, new people in the industry. So you learned, how to be a, you learned how to be uh, networking better at a, being a ruthless thug. Yeah. I found a few more docks that I could pull my truck into. <laughs> Nothing good. Yeah. And the second sentence where it sounds like they were, you know, making an, quote unquote, an example of you, giving you such a huge sentence. What was that like in the courtroom when that came down on you? You would have thought I killed somebody. I got 21 years for a one-day conspiracy that took about 15 minutes, $84,000 worth of drugs. It was a one-day conspiracy, like I said. When I got out of prison the first time, I had actually turned my life around. Then my sister got diagnosed with cancer, and I started using drugs, which I had never done before, just you know, very little recreationally, but I was so upset because my sister was like my best friend. I... Uh, I went the wrong direction there again, and I started using drugs heavily. But I thought it could mask the pain. But, you know, in the long run, all it did was make everything worse. So, you know, that's how I ended up where I ended up. 
And I heard you talk about with uh, Danielle on that podcast when you received the sentence walking out of the courtroom. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I just, that, that my jaw dropped. I was like, whoa, that's what he was thinking about. That's crazy. Well, when I walked out of that courtroom, you would have thought I was a Marine. I would not show any weakness. I actually stopped on the way out and gave the judge a piece of my mind. You can, you know, forgive me. You gave me 21 years for a one day conspiracy. It's crazy. You know, nobody got hurt, but because I wouldn't cooperate with the government and tell on, you know, police force, they threw the book at me, which is fine. You know I mean? I can look in the mirror every day and know I did the right thing as far as morally that in that, you know, aspect, but I shouldn't have been where I was. What everything else I did was immoral. So I should have taken, I've learned the lesson, but back then, and I want to think about it, I should have been loyal to my family, to my parents, to people around me and not been in the situation. I put my loyalty in, into the wrong direction, but now I'm right on path. And like I said, you know, I can only look back. I can't continue to beat myself up. Sometimes I do all those years I lost, you know I mean? The struggle is real. You know, it's hard, you know, I got 19 years I lost in my life and I, I blame myself for it. I take full responsibility, but sometimes it's hard. Do you see that time? I, I know you just said like you lost your, you lost 19 years of your life, but can you see, can any part of you now have some clarity where you see those 19 years was, was uh, almost a gift to give you the the mindset that you're at now and where you're going to go um, in the future with the time you do have? Yes. I needed every one of those days I did, I served to feel like what it was like, you know, to find my purpose in life, which I've done, and that's to help others. So if I can help one kid from going down the path I went, hopefully many more, but my goal now is to do some motivational speaking, hopefully when this COVID is over and help people. I'm not money driven anymore. I lost 19 years chasing the dollar. You know, now, you know, I'm sure the universe will give me abundance when the time is right. But until then, I'm going to do me. I'm going to help people. Yeah. You were telling me that, you know, you've drove, you know, you've had Bentleys and, you know, huge houses and you had done an Instagram post. This is before the three of us hopped on a call last week, but you had done an Instagram post with this huge house. And, and you talked about how like you had all the things, but there was yeah. no happiness there. I was empty within, but I had a 5,000 square foot house. Yeah. You know, I had, I drove a Bentley. I was in Vegas all the time, California, place out in Vegas when I got arrested. They took everything. I lost everything. You know, and, and but I found myself. And it, like I said, it took all those years to find me. Let's talk about um, the writing of that book. So this guard, which is so interesting. I wonder if he, does this guard know that that, you know, bringing you that paper was the turning point in your life? Do you know if he knows that? Probably not. Unless he yeah. listens to, to interviews. Yeah, that's so interesting to think. <laughs> and I and I think that it really speaks to, he obviously had some kind of hit to bring you that paper. And so often we get a hit to email somebody or text somebody or say thank you or send a note and we don't do it. We say, oh, I got, you know, I'm in the middle of something or I'm driving. Like you can pull the car over and you can take action on those things. And I think that that 
really speaks to it because if he didn't bring you that paper, you know, we, we may, most likely we wouldn't be talking right now. Um, so let's talk about the book that you wrote, Infinity Crew. So it just did, you feel like it just kind of moved through you? Was it like you couldn't keep up with the words or did you struggle with it? Or what did, what did that experience bring to you? Well, besides writing, I, my mother used to send me books every day. So that's how I got turned on to plant-based and all that. So it was all like one spiritual involvement. It was uh, like all my core values changed over those months. It was epic. You know, it was, I got rid of all my negativity. I did an ethical reset. You know, I wrote, read the book, you know, Laws of Attraction. And I, I did so much learning and writing. Like I was consumed by writing. They only give you the paper they give you is like five inches long by like four inches wide. It's small little paper. And I had every nook and cranny of that paper with my book front, back. I was writing on napkins. Like I was on a mission. It was like I finally woke up and saw the light. And what's, tell us about the book. What's the subject matter of the book? I mean, the, the cover, which is behind you, is pretty, uh, pretty intense. Yeah. It's about five kids that meet at, in a reform school. They come from all ethical backgrounds. It's a story of friendship, loyalty, like I, what I think loyalty should be like. Because both times I went to prisons, dear friends put me in there. So my book is about loyalty, friendship. Um, so they're sophisticated, you know, criminals. The lead character is vegan, Vinnie Bruno. <laughs> There's never been a lead character, you know, gangster that's vegan. He's torn between, you know, doing the right things and, you know, crime. It's like it has all kinds of twists and turns. And it may or may not have been based on actual events. I see that there's uh, names that have been changed. It's based on true crimes, <laughs> but the names have been changed to protect the guilty. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's probably very good um, yeah. for all of us that are talking about the book. And um, so let's talk a little bit about how you had said you educated yourself, but you ended up writing your own compassionate release. So share the, share that story with our listeners. Cause that's just, that's amazing. Like you got yourself in there and you got yourself out. Yeah. I studied, one of the things I studied was the law. Before that I had done six or seven of my own motions. The first circuit court of appeals called me the poster child for tenacity. Like I wouldn't give up, you know, because, you know, I thought, okay, I did the crime. I take full responsibility, but there was too many, like, there was no gun involved in the crime. And I got seven years for brandishing a weapon. Nine surveillance teams never saw a weapon, but I got seven years for it. You know, stuff like that. But anyways, I lost all my appeals. So back in 2016, my mom had a stroke. She had a rear spinal tap that stroke through her spine. And um, she became paralyzed. So I had filed compassionate release try to get home to take care of her because I was the only living immediate family member. My sister passed away when I was when I was arrested. My father died in 2012. My stepfather had passed. So the warden denied me. It was a, basically a boil, boilerplate, you know, denial, like they always do. But when they passed prison reform, gave me another avenue into the court. So I found a loophole in prison in the prison reform 
where I could go directly to court if I got denied by the warden again. So I put in, in 2019, I put in a motion for compassionate release, denial. So I went to federal court and I got some traction. The judge ordered a video conference hearing. So I wrote some lawyers. I got a great lawyer out of uh, Massachusetts. Her name is Allison Corey. She came on board. She tweaked my motion that I did myself, you know, because I had been studying the paralegal, like I said, the law. And we had a video conference and I was the first, I'm proud of this. I was the first uh, federal inmate to get on, out on a parental compassionate release. It had never been done before. It, before me, it was either a spouse or a child. You had to be the only one alive to take care of them. You know, that was immediate family. So I broadened, I personally broadened the horizon of compassionate release to, to include parent and uh, somebody other than a spouse or child. And now other guys, other inmates are getting out. So that I'm proud of that. So that's the, uh, that's your tenacity, right? Your, uh, yeah. continuous, um, continuous energy moving forward, even though people are saying, no, they're stamping denied. They're saying, um, you shouldn't be doing this even up to this day as you're vegan. Like you shouldn't, you sh you know, there's, there's other ways to go about it. How do you, how did you, um, how can you mm, recall where you got that from, or have you just always been tenacious, maybe sports or uh, just an innate value? Probably from growing up with one parent and, and my mother was always working. So I always had to overcome the odds. And my mother was my role model, seeing her like never give up on us, working three jobs. We slept on floors. Then we got an apartment finally. Then we got a house all from my mother's tenacity. So I followed in her footsteps. It's sort of, uh, would you say it's sort of natural now? Like it's just, it, it's just innate, like you can't ever see giving up. Never. You can never pursue your dreams unless you have the courage to go, at, go after them. Yeah. Did you ever see your dad again? Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I've never discussed this, but he started visiting me in prison. We actually were reconciled, you know, our differences. Um, you know, he was a heavy drinker. Like I said, he stopped drinking. He had diabetes. He, he got diabetes and, um, lymphatic leukemia he, and he changed. He actually showed me a little compassion. He used to visit me every month, you know, for, for a while. So, you know, things is got he, patched up. Is he still alive? No, he passed away in 2012. Do you feel, do you feel peace around that reconciliation? Yeah. I always, you know, I spoke to him. I wrote him a letter from my heart and that's when he started coming to visit me. But, you know, my whole life though, one time, did you ever say, I love you? Mm. Did you get those words from him at any point? Never. Never? Mm. No. Nope. How do you reconcile that? Todd. Do you love your kids like exponentially because of that? I tell them every time I see them, many times. I never want to follow in that path, like, you know, but he was, my grandparents were like that too. They were very, not very emotional, like, you know, from the old country, from Italy. And, uh, they, I, I saw it. They never really showed any of us love, especially him and my yeah. aunt and my uncle. So, well, it takes what do you that, know? 
we were just talking about, you know, tradition or, uh, you know, these things that you just, you just do every year, like Thanksgiving or, um, the family things that always happen. And to break that, to break that you're seen as the outlier, you're seen as, well, why would you ever want to, why would you ever want to stop that? And in this example, you're just giving like your, your firsthand, firsthandly, you're changing the way you communicate. Yeah, I broke that cycle, but I disappointed myself. By so I said to myself, because mm-hmm. my dad took off when we were little, I was young. Me and my sister were babies, and he moved to Cleveland, and we never saw him much. But I said, I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to tell my kids I love them and all that. And then I end up going to prison twice. So mm-hmm. that was the hardest part of being in prison, is knowing that I failed in that way. So I, you know, what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you broke that cycle. That's like a generational cycle that you broke. Yeah. And that is what um, what you have the option to focus on. Because as you know, like you just can't beat yourself up anymore. I'm sure you did plenty of that to the point where you didn't want to be here anymore. Yeah. You know? I did a number on myself. Yeah, I bet you did. Um, so, yeah, so the book... Uh, Let's talk about when you were released from prison. Actually, BJ was just kind of touched on the, you know, the family gatherings around Thanksgiving and you were released in October and you had already been introduced to the plant-based lifestyle. So, and you come from, you know, the Italian culture is very much around food and tradition and, you know, coming together as a family. And did you disrupt that in th- at Thanksgiving that year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put that house upside down. My aunt cooked this amazing meal by, you know, Italian heritage. And I was sitting there eating. I wouldn't eat anything but my plant-based diet because I had already, you know, converted to vegan then. And uh, they were all so upset with me. She made meatballs, sausages, the turkey. Turkey used to be my favorite. Um, everything, you know, uh, eggplant with the cheese. Just, you know, full, the whole nine yards of Italian food. And here I am eating a baked turkey and uh, roasted potatoes. And my aunt, you know, because she got so mad. She said, I'm never cooking again. This is the last holiday. <laughs> they couldn't even comprehend, you know, what I was doing. I was, I was breaking another cycle. Yeah. You're, and that's, t- that's, a, that's something that I think holds people back from changing their diet is, oh, well, my family or my mother-in-law, or it's the holidays, I'll do it after. And all in the meantime, they're, you know, eating food that they don't necessarily want to eat. And so here you are, you haven't had a holiday with your family for 15 and a half years and you show up and you're not partaking in it, but you stayed, it sounds like you stayed steadfast. And was oh, yeah. part of that just like your freedom and your ability to to be able to eat plant-based? Because I know you had, I've heard you say that in prison, it was really tough to do that. Oh, yeah, because they don't really have, they give a doll 25 a day to feed you. So everything's like meat and potatoes and the meat is like five years old and frozen and just like the worst meat av- available on the earth probably. So... You know, I broke that cycle of eating meat when my buddy was a cook and he told me, you know, how old it was and what we were eating. So then I switched to basically tuna and any kind of vegetables I could get, oatmeal, stuff like that. But sometimes like when I got in trouble, you have to eat what you have to eat to survive or else you're going to starve. Yeah. So. So coming out of prison, 
What's that mm-hmm. transition like? Because you went away, you know, a lot has happened in 15 years. It was unbelievable because I was thrust into society with no warning. I mean, I had my, I knew I had the hearing, but I never expected to leave that day. So I got immediate release, no reintegration, no halfway house, nothing. So what I had to do was just, I stayed in the house. I'll never forget. I had my son, all my kids were at the house. We had, you know, a good get together. So then when I left, when they left, I had my son drop me off at Target. So I walked into Target. It was like 930. I didn't even have a toothbrush, nothing. So I walked into Target and I was so overwhelmed. I had such anxiety. I'll never forget. I walked out of Target. I just put my uh, basket down. I couldn't take it. It was just crazy. Like here in the intercom, 20 minutes till closing, then people walking around. I just dropped the, you know, the cot, the uh, little, what do you call the thing? You put the, the basket. basket. The basket. I put the yeah. basket down. I walked out. There's a liquor store next door. I bought some uh, Tito's, vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Went home and had two shots, brushed my teeth with my finger. It was tough. I had to go. I had to have counseling. I couldn't leave the house. I got too much anxiety. The first month was really, really rough. What, were some, of the, what were some of the techniques that you learned to calm yourself in the face of that anxiety? A lot of people well, are facing anxiety right now as, you know, they have been quarantined in their house. Some people pretty extreme. I, I've heard stories of people that I know um, pretty close to my family who haven't left their house since March and they're getting their groceries delivered. And some people are just starting to venture out. And there's a lot of anxiety that's alive and well right now that's, you know, um, very real for people. So what were some of the things that helped you get a hold of this? Well, besides the uh, two shots of Tito's, <laughs> besides that, <laughs> I did some meditating. I live by, you know, I changed when I changed my life. I started living by the law of attraction. So I was sending out positive vibes to the universe. I was asking for help. I was, you know, I made some phone calls to some, you know, people I knew that were, you know, similar to me, and um, just basically calm myself down. You know, talking to my mother, my mother's my rock, you know, finally home with her after all these years, you know, that was calming, you know, just, just being free, but it came with a price. Like I said, I was anxiety. I was scared to go out. Then I sought counseling. I went to counseling for like a couple months and then, you know, I slowly integrated and eased back into society. Your meditation practice, um, because we have a lot of, um, listeners who who are repeat listeners and we talk about meditation and mindfulness and the power of the mind and what was how did you start meditating and what is your what does your practice look like now i meditate for like when i do meditate for like i haven't been slacking lately but back then i was doing it for like 30 minutes at a time i had my mantra and i just closed myself off from the rest of the world and just focus on my breathing and you know it wasn't easy though because my mind was everywhere So meditation back then was really tough, you know, but it's okay now. Everything's good. But you had that, uh, you had that tenacity. Yeah, it's like like you have to have tenacity on this spiritual path. Oh, yeah. There is so much vying for your attention and there's so much cheap and easy solutions, which are, which are instantaneous and so temporary, like the Tito's. And the yeah. target, man, what a, I was just like, what a 
gift because, you know, there's people that go into Target every day and they don't even, none of that stuff of, like even comes into their awareness. They're just sifting through and, and going away. But you had this heightened, um, heightened, I, we can call it anxiety, but it's, it's uh, you know, you were aware. You were super hyper aware of everything around you, which a lot yeah. of people I don't think get that, don't have that ability. Well, in prison, you live by that fight or flight. It's always, you know, you're always ready for something. So when I walked into Target, it was so many people, you know, because it was, you know, near closing time, you know, people rushing around. So I was like, I was on, it was crazy. I was on like high alert for nothing. Like now I look back and laugh. I'm like, what was I thinking? I was going to get jumped. <laughs> you know what I mean? In Target. <laughs> so as you start to change and, and we're kind of going back and forth on the timeline here, but I'm just pulling on threads because that just made me think about something as, you know, when you first go into prison, I'm assuming it's kind of like a dog, like where you got to like mark your territory. And then, but now you've got the spiritual awakening. You're writing a book, you're educating yourself, you're, you're writing compassionate releases. Like there's a part of you that's opening and, and softening. You're becoming, did you become vulnerable while in prison? It's funny you said that because when I got out of the, the, the I called the shoe, but I got out of solitary confinement and I had the spiritual awakening. My friends from Boston and other friends were like, "What happened to you? Did they break you in there? Like, why are you at?" Because I volunteered and I took care of a sick and terminally ill inmates, right, on a volunteer basis, and they saw me like like I wasn't flying off the handle. I mean, once in a while, you know, everybody has a weak moment, but. I was like a completely changed person. And they were all like, what happened to you? You know, did they break you? In other words, you can't take it anymore and you're just too scared to go back. And they couldn't even understand the journey I was on, even though I tried to explain it to a couple of my friends. But, you know, they see being good and all that in prison as weakness when really compassion I now, as I know, is strength. But they couldn't, it wasn't in the realm of possibility that a guy like me do a complete 180 that quickly. But I'm thinking like you had already kind of earned your respect by then where nobody was going to push you around because of this new no, never. Anthony. Like you already the, had your... The new Anthony said many times, unless you, you can say what you want, but don't really, don't disrespect me. Like, you know, like call me a rat or something like that because I was a stand-up guy. But if you called me an asshole or something before I would punch you in the mouth. But when I got out, unless somebody physically, like I got in an altercation, I would say, put your hands on me and watch what happens. They're going to med flight you out of here, bro. But other than that, there's no problem. And so people got it that, you know, I just changed. You know, I wasn't weak. They didn't take, they start, at first they took kindness for weakness, but then they saw the other side of the beast once in a while when it had to happen. But other than that, I was good because... You know, I already had that respect. I went to trial. I didn't tell on anybody. So, you know, I'm thinking about that like, um, I'm thinking about Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid. If you've ever seen that movie, you know, he's this gentle master, but then he goes and he like takes on all those they boys first. because right. they attacked first and he takes them all down. And, you know, sometimes you do have to, sometimes you do have to stand up and fight, but not to be the instigator of it. No, I became the voice of reason from, from the antagonist to the voice of reason. You know, that was a big, huge change. Did you have some friends fall away 
when you came out and there's this new Anthony there, did, did, did some of the friends in your circle sort of uh, fall off communications? Well, BJ, there's an old saying, if you have a handful of friends in this world, you've got something. And I didn't even have that because I, over the years, there was only a few friends of mine that stuck by me. You know, like one friend, my friend Brian used to drive my mother wherever I was. Like, that's a real friend. You know, keep in touch, call my mother, make sure she's okay. You know, I only had like three or four guys like that from guys, supposedly I had hundreds of friends that I found out who my real friends were. So I keep my circle real small now. I'm like a lone wolf, you know, but if they send me out, you know, you know, the old saying, they throw you out to the wolves. Well, if I, they do that to me, I come back to pack leader. you got some really interesting pictures on your website pictures of when you were incarcerated Mm -hmm. and there's some when you're smiling and there's one though where you man i looked at that photo and it was like it was like it was devoid of it was just like I don't know. Like the only word I can think of is like, it is almost like this evilness was coming through your eyes, but it was like clouding who you really were. I mean, it's really interesting to see. And then you see more smiling pictures, which is the um, Anthony that, uh, you know, I've gotten to know very briefly over these last couple of weeks. But in, like I said, in your voice, I, I hear so much kindness and compassion in your voice when you were growing up, when you were in the height of, you know, living the life that you wanted to live as, you know, as long as you were providing for your family and, and crime and, and violence and things like that, was there, did you, were you ever in touch with that part of you that you're in touch with now? Could you feel that part of you or was it just clouded? Well, getting I'll go back to the picture first. You hit the nail right on the head. At one point in time, I was numb. My heart was like black, you know, and then after my spiritual awakening, it slowly started getting redder and redder. Right now it's ruby red. I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm all about kindness, compassion and all that. But at one point, yeah, I lost complete sight of myself. But to answer your question, I would cleanse my, I was out there selling drugs and doing what I was doing. And I thought it was a you know, good person because I, I know I said this on one or two other interviews, but. I would go into a place where I would see people in need and I would throw them a hundred dollar bill. Like I, I remember an old couple, I'll never forget. It was near Christmas and they were doing their laundry. They couldn't afford, you know, to do a second load of laundry. They said they would dry it at home. And I overheard it. I walked up to them both and I handed them each a hundred dollar bill. And they would have thought I was like Robin Hood, living Robin Hood. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I called myself. Like I'm Robin Hood. Because I, you know, I, I'm selling drugs, but yet I'm cleansing my soul, giving people money, little kids, you know, stuff like that. If I see a kid someplace with the mother, and he's like, "I want that," I would buy it for him. And so, by doing good things, I would thought I was cleansing my soul, but I really wasn't. I was just masking the pain or whatever I wanted to, you know, would call it, just masking what I was doing. So, you know, and as I look back, I now know that. That was just, I had a good hat, but I was trying to, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing because I thought it was okay. And it was, you know, it it really wasn't bottom line. That 
the brain can rationalize anything, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah, your heart was super strong, but the brain can be like, well, you know, I can eat vegan while I'm out in public, but I, you know, when I get home, I can, you know, have this because I've done a good job today. And that's just, you know, one example. Or um, when you start to uh, walk down the spiritual path and you start this awakening, that mind is going to hesitate because there's so many things that are routine, so many things that are like ingrained and you constantly have to be onto, onto your mind. Do you feel that, uh, do you feel that the, like, your meditation practice has allowed you to sort of have a little bit of um, space between what your actions are and and what your mind is is saying. Do you feel basically? Do you have a thought and you have the action, and then there's some space in between? Do you feel like that meditation practice or your breathing or being able to slow down a little bit has improved that ability to to act on it? Well. When I'm, you know, consciously aware aware of things, I don't have any urge to do anything bad anymore. I don't have any urge to eat bad to eat animals. You know, I'm living that cruelty animal cruelty life, free. Excuse me, animal cruelty free life. Um, so the meditation for me is more of just relaxation and you know, calming myself in different situations, but I don't even feel any urge. Like I don't need to even think like, like you just said, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the old Anthony, it took years to come, you know, get to this point where I'm at, but years ago. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's what we see. Right. Um, I mean, you can look at anybody on social media and you're seeing them where they're at. Right. And people have a hard time grasping all the work that you've done and where you were before. Like it takes a long time, but it takes a little bit every day over a long period of time if you're willing to make that commitment. So it's not an instantaneous process by any means. Yeah. It's not an overnight no. awakening. No. It took years. No. It's 2009 to, to now. So it's 12 years of trying to better myself. Yeah. So let's talk about um, your wake-up call to eating. So do you remember, did you have like an aha moment where it, where it just, the switch flipped and you were like, whoa, like eating vegan just made so much sense to you? Um, I mean, I, I already knew the path that was going on. As soon as I got out, I knew I was changing and I had, I was under home confinement. So I, you know, for a year I had a curfew. So I met a girl, she was vegan because I wouldn't, you know, date anybody else, but a vegan girl is my girl, Natalie. and you know, she basically watched movies together and she took her time and she just you know, really educated me more. And so that's why, you know, it was easy to convert because I was already down with it. And then she put me over the edge, like, you know, and since then, no turning back. What Veganism you- is my calling. Yeah. What book did your mom send you in prison? Do you remember? I don't even remember the name. There's so many of them. She did. <laughs> Rosemary, yeah. we should we yeah. should call her by name because she has such a beautiful name, Rosemary. Um, what a beautiful was, light for yeah, you. The, yeah, she's amazing. But it was a plant-based book. Do you remember any of the documentaries that you watched with Natalie? Anything that just clicked for you or anything? Game changers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, talk that about that. That was a game changer. Yeah. What about <laughs> yeah. that movie changed the game for you? The way that just everything, 
the, the way the animals are treated, what we're putting into our bodies, the environment. It was just like, wow. Like, you know, I didn't have access to these documentaries in prison and it did nothing hits home like seeing it. You know what I mean? So what is the message that as the convicted vegan, what is the message that you really want people to be willing to hear? There's two paths in life, the right path and the wrong path. And you, everybody has a choice. Everybody, there's a line that goes through the heart. You can either be a good person or a bad person. And if it's never too late, change. So hopefully people choose the right path. But if you don't, you can always turn, your, turn that car or whatever you're driving and get on that right path. Yeah. What do you say to people say, that say, well, it's hard you know, to be vegan. It's hard to be vegan. To be honest with you, it is. Because people are brought up like me with a certain understanding like that animals were put on this wor world for us to eat. That's the hardest thing to break people's mindset of because they were grown up like that with the heritage like you're supposed to eat animals. And me, I thought I was this amazing animal lover because I love dogs and cats. I trained dogs in prison. I had one in my room with me, sleep with me, you know, in the room every night, 13 months at a time. You know, I, I sent, I trained, I graduated two dogs. One went to a courthouse, one went to a hospital for troubled teens. And I'm calling myself this great dog, you know, animal of it because I'm taking good care of this dog. And, you know, and the hottest part of my whole prison sentence was letting those dogs go, you know, so they could, you know, I mean, it was heartbreaking because I was so attached. They were like my therapy dogs. But getting back to the point, here I am with 800,000 species of animals, call myself an animal lover. Well, my body is a tomb. It's a, it's a dead, it's a cemetery for dead animals. It's like, hello, Anthony, wake up. And a lot of people aren't awake yet. People aren't even open to it. So all like we can do is lead by example. Hopefully they wake up, you know, nobody around me, you know, like there's not, I, I, out of all my people around me, like my kids eat good, you know, most of the time, but you know, I'm the only vegan. So I'm lead, trying to lead by example, but you can't push it upon people. Like I was ready to turn vegan. So when Natalie, you know, completed my awakening, that's what I needed. But unless you're at that point, people can't, you know what I mean? You can't force somebody to sit down and watch game changers or all, all these other documentaries or watch video clips of the way these animals are treated and the way they're killed. You, you just can't. You know what I mean? There's nothing unless somebody's ready. Yeah, I remember when, I, you know, I definitely had a, a hidden agenda when I started to eat uh, plant-based and I would go home and, you know, I would be preaching it and, you know, judging. I was yeah, extremely judging of my, you know, my family. Like, how can you guys eat like this? Don't you know? But that's such a, a great, powerful place to be when we just say, you're on your timeline, I'm on mine. This is the information I have that works well for me and I'm going to continue to do this. And if you're curious about it, I'm here to, to provide information. But it's, isn't it challenging to, is it challenging for you to step back like that and not um, scream from the mountaintops how good you feel and, and how, how beneficial this is for, um, I mean, do you have your moments basically? <laughs> 
I have my moments, but I, I'm I'm at the point where, you know, it's like beating deaf ears. Unless somebody comes to me and asks, I mean, all I can do is, you know, continue to do what I'm doing, feel the way I'm feeling, and and look out after me. I, you know, I mean, I might buy, I have boundaries now. I can't worry about what, what everybody else is doing. I got to start taking care of number one. So I've been doing a lot of stuff for myself lately, which I haven't been done done since I've been out. I've been working so hard, so I've been, you know, doing some grounding and taking time for myself. I did whole colon hydrotherapy. You know, I think I got 15 and a half years of sludge in my body, you know, in prison. Let me me clean all my insides. I'm not eating animals anymore, but, you know, I'm trying to do things for me. Because if I'm not happy and I don't love myself, I can't pass any message on to anybody. Yeah, I mean, that is such an expression of self-love. And you shared a great video. Um, You were on the beach. You were having, you know, it was just like life was just crashing waves on you and you needed to take a break. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I I had, my negativity was up to my eyeballs. I was short with people. People driving were aggravating me. You know, just like things people around me that I love was saying. It was really bothering me. I said, you know what? Before I take this out on anybody else and act out of character, because I'm, you know, I'm trying to change here, trying to live a positive life. Let me get, take, remove myself from the situation. Take a day to myself. My cup was empty. Let me try to refill it. So I took a day. I went to the beach, some grounding, did some meditation, watch, you know, watch the ocean, walked around, put the phone on DND. And because the phone can be, you know, treacherous too. It's very, you know, consuming. And, you know, I did me and I needed it. So I made the video. It was actually fun because I felt good at that point. Or shadow boxing with the earth. (laughs) And I know like you're, I mean, you just have such a mission of service on your heart that you're living. But if we're not in service to ourselves, we can't be in service of other people. If we don't love ourselves, we can't really love anybody fully ever. And so we yep. have to put ourselves first. And I mean, putting yourself first has to, in your life journey, had to, it has to involve like some forgiveness of things that you've done in the past. How have you reconciled forget? Like to you, what is forgiveness? Is it about the past? Is it about the future? Like, what is it? What does it look like to you to forgive yourself so that you can start to allow yourself to love yourself for who you are now? Well, the first thing I needed to do was apologize to everybody I was close to that I affected in a negative way. And like, I've never laid a finger on any of my children, but I wasn't there for them. Like I said, I wasn't there to hold them. I wasn't there at night to do their homework with them. I wasn't there to spend the quality time they needed. And my, my daughters always say, we didn't care about any of that, Dad. We wanted you home. So to make a peace with myself over the years, I wrote them a lot of letters apologizing. But when I got home, I had to sit down with it and talk to every one of them to cleanse my soul correctly. And that's what I did. And we're all in a good place right now. Forgiveness is in the air. I'm getting along unbelievable with my kids. My mom, I get, you know... Her whole outlook on life has changed now. I'm home, taking care of her. Um, you know, I disappointed her too over the years. No matter what, though, she was always my rock. No matter how I screwed up, 
So when I got home, I had, we had, we've had long talks. We talk all the time and she sees, you know, the path I'm on and she always tells me she's proud of me and, you know, wishes I had gotten on this path sooner. But like I said, I needed every day of the time I got to realize where I had to be and what I had to do. And a defining moment in that, to be honest with you, is like I said, when I got out of solitary confinement, I took, volunteered and took care of sick and terminally ill mate, inmates. And the second guy I took care of, he ended up dying. And it really put life into perspective because he was doing, he was, he, he got sentenced in the, in the height of the war on drugs. He was doing a, you know, he wasn't even a lot of drugs, but he got 20 years because they were rough back then on the sentences, like when I got sentenced. And, he, and I took care of him right till like almost the day he died. And he was so thankful and he, 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 we had long talks and he's like, listen, you know, I wish there was so much I could do so much. I could say to my kids, you know, just everything I was thinking, like he never got a chance to tell his kids. So after he passed, I wrote his daughter a letter and I told him, you know, every, I told her everything. She even came and visited me. But my point is I was not going to make the same mistake. Or, or not have the opportunity like he didn't have the opportunity he realized but it was too late so to complete my journey you know what i had to do as soon as i got out was make it right with my kids and that's what we've done i think that's so profound because there's a lot of grudges and grievances that are being held within family members and friends and lack of forgiveness and and in any kind of belief that we can't forgive or we should not forgive is it's really this disrespect for life because life is is so precious and i believe at our essence we're we're all the same we are the same and do you believe that as well absolutely absolutely i mean unless somebody like two of my dear friends put me in prison do i i do i i don't forgive them I'm, but I'm leaving it up to the universe. I'm not going back to my old ways. I don't wish them anything bad. The universe will handle it. You know what I mean? I don't say anything bad about them. You know what I mean? I'm I'm about forgiveness and compassion now, but that's something I can't forgive, but I can forget. In other words, I'm not acting upon it and I don't wish anybody, anybody bad, but you know, you got to look in the mirror and you got to deal with your own sins. Well, we reap what we sow. Yeah. And to me, that kind of loyalty is the worst sin you can have betraying a friend. That's why they made Dante's Inferno. And that's the deepest part of hell Inform is on the, of the family. And it's in my book. And that's where all the rats are going, huh? <laughs> it's in my book. <laughs> I'm interested in reading this book. I, I can't wait. Um, so another thing, again, we're kind of moving around here, but you've got so there's so many wonderful angles to your story. But another thing that we hear about on a vegan diet is, you know, how in, and you're, you're pretty like looking at some of those prison photos, you're pretty jacked dude. Like you've got some muscle mass. Um, but people will say, you know, how can you get enough on a plant-based diet? Well, first of all, you had enough, I've been taught rule number one when I get out, you know, camera angles and lighting are key to pitches. <laughs> 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 to be honest with you, it's tough. It's a, I mean, it's tough. So what I do is I eat, I drink protein drinks, plant-based protein drinks. And I love lentils and lentils are a great source of uh, protein. 
I, I eat nuts all day. Um, just it's not easy, but you don't need as much protein as you, as people think. Like when I was away, I was trying to eat one gram when I first went away, one gram of protein for yeah, every pound I weighed. So now I'm lucky if I get 80 grams of 100 grams of protein a day and I weigh 240. Yeah, that's plenty. Yeah, that's a you're yeah, getting plenty for sure. Yeah, yeah but people sure. don't, people are living under the like I've seen more guys out there, everybody out here is doing that meat and cheese diet and they don't even understand what they're doing to their insides. Are you serious? There's a meat and cheese diet? Yeah, the keto diet, whatever it's called. Oh, keto. I mean, carnivore, there's a carnivore uh, diet. Just, gracious. Like, oh. Well, as the ancient scripture Bhagavad Gita says, <laughs> we <laughs> reap what we sow. Um, you guys, I see working out all the time in the pool and all that. That How, how much protein do you guys eat a day? But to I be honest, I like, I mean, I don't really count it, but, count it, but maybe 30 to 40 yeah. grams. And um, you guys have all that energy. Yeah. But, yeah, but these, there's protein in everything. There's, and there's fat in everything. There's fat in kale. There's protein in kale. There's protein in everything. It's just, it's, we've singled out this one thing and we've mm -hmm. put a lot of money in media and marketing behind it. And everybody thinks they need a lot of protein, but, um, but we don't. I think a lot of it too. But we also don't count calories or protein or anything like that. So maybe I get more, maybe I get less, but it's about, it's like intuitive. How do I feel? How am I performing? How am I recovering? And those are really my gauges. Yeah. I've been slacking personally on the workouts and stuff because, of, you know, I'm doing my screenplay now. I got four producers waiting. COVID hit. When COVID hit, I was right. I was looking pretty good. And then COVID hit, the gym closed, and I had my routine get all disrupted. But now I'm trying to get it back. I've been doing a lot of uh, juicing, the cleansing with the colon cleanse and stuff like that. Uh, routine. I just wanted to touch upon routine. So, um, and the fitness thing. So in prison, and I don't mean to keep going back there, just but it seems like a long period of time. Um, how important was routine? Meaning like doing your exercises, um, spending some quiet time, right? Like how important was your routine? And then how did that shift? How did you deal with the shift when you, when you made it back out? Routine in prison is everything. It's what we live by. It's like, it's like the gospel. I would get up every morning. I'd go walk, come back, eat breakfast at the same time, take a little nap. Then I do an afternoon workout. And then certain prisons, like I would play handball. So it was like, we had a regimented time for everything in the respect level. Uh, crazy to say is so much higher in prison than out of prison. Like if we were going to meet to play handball and you had, we meet in your front at noon, if you're there at 10, 10 or 12, 10 or 12, 15, that's disrespect. My time is valuable. And I'd be like, we're in prison. Who cares? But then you learn fast, you know, respect is everything. So you, 12, you say 12 o'clock, be there out here. You could text somebody. And they'll answer you and then they'll just disappear. And that's the most frustrating thing for me is like learning, getting adjusted to the, there's such a difference in people's mindset from in there to out here. But dang, you know, I'm so much happier to be out here and free and all that. But I'm still not with the thinking like I, I respect your time. So if you tell me two o'clock, two o'clock, I'm going to meet you or call you or whatever we agree to. But a lot of people out here are just so lax and days ago and, you know, they don't respect other people's time. 
So that's been a hard adjustment. Well, let's talk about time, right? Because, uh, you know, we feel like we have limitless time and we don't. We, mm -hmm. It's such a false belief. Like, uh, and as, as athletes, like you mentioned and coaches and just walking this spiritual life, like we need to act on, on those hits now. We can't, we can't, um, delay it. We can't say, or, or some of us do say, you know, I'll do it tomorrow or do it next week. And those are the moments that you really need to, to question what you're, how you're moving through this world. And we're, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Like we're not guaranteed the next day. So, you know, I was listening to something the other day, which really resonated. And, and it's like, you know, when your time has come and you're like, oh, well, wait a minute, I'm supposed to get, you're supposed to notify me when I would have some time like that last week or the final 30 days of my life. And, and the response is always like, well, I just gave you 52 weeks alone in the last year to do stuff with your life. Um, do you take that to heart? Time? time? Yeah. Time is so precious. People you know, don't understand. A lot of people out here don't, don't because you haven't been where I was. Right. And it, believe me, it's, that's nothing to brag about. It's absolutely the opposite. But what I'm getting at is you don't, re- people don't realize how valuable time is. You can never get time back. Like I, like I constantly beat myself up over all the years I threw away doing what I did. So every moment is precious to me from here on in. But a lot of people don't realize that if you love somebody, tell them you love them. Don't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow might not ever happen. So people need to really, really, you know, realize that time is everything. Like people put too much value on money. So many more things more important than money. And I've learned that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not chasing the dollar. I don't really even advertise much my book. I have a clothing line. I hardly ever put it up anymore. I did at first, but you know, now my path got a little bit foggy, but now I'm back on on the path I want to be on. I want to help people. I'm doing some life coaching. I became a life coach, right? I haven't made a penny. I've been doing it for free. Somebody can't afford it. I DM me. I'll have you in time of need. I'll help you because I know I'm going to shine. My abundance is coming. I put my heart and soul into that book. That book sold my life. I got four producers waiting, you know, for my screenplay. Big producers. I don't want to say names, but big Hollywood producers are interested. My book is at the New York Times getting a review right now. You know, I I have such confidence in my book. I know that when I get my review, it's going to take off. But in the meantime, like I said earlier, I'm looking to help people. That's my mission. And I was taking care of this guy when I volunteered to take care of the sick and terminally ill, the guy Clark I was telling you about. And it was one thing I forgot he said was always chase your dream. Don't uh, make money not a priority. Chase your dream with your people, your family, your friends, your whoever you find as a soulmate. And that's what's important. Because look at me, I'm lying here with nothing. I'm going, I'm, you know, I have days to live. So that resonated. So I don't care about money. I want to help people. How did um, these producers get your book in their hands? Because they read your book and now they want you to do a screenplay, right? <clears throat> yeah. Friends of friends. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> it's all about who you know. Uh, so yeah, so you're in the process now of making it into a screen because it was originally a screenplay. So yes. tell us how it's flip flopped like this. Okay, I, it was a screenplay. When I got out, I my a buddy of mine's daughter is a big shot in, in a, a, a uh, studio. 
And I was talking to her and she says, your next step, you need to make it into a book. So I spent the whole year, you know, dedicated. And it was actually good that COVID hit because I, you know, put in crazy hours writing. Then I sent it to an editor. She edited it, sent it back to me. I edited it, edited it five more times because I'm a perfectionist. So I made my book, my little, my project, my masterpiece. And uh, so that's how it became a book. But I changed so much being out. I would catch, I would carry a pen and paper around with me. And I, you know, just talking to you guys, let's say I could come up with an idea. And then talking to somebody else or just seeing something on the street that triggered me. Like, I'll give you a little hint. I was talking to somebody and they were a psychologist. And then they said to me, I can't believe how uh, you don't have vengeance in your heart and, um, you know, you don't want to do something to the, you know, the people that put you away. And I said, I've changed. I'm not that guy anymore. But that it clicked in my head. And now I added a therapist into my book in a relation and, and, you know, gave it another twist with the relationship from the lead actor. So like what I'm getting at is I changed my book so much. Now I have to redo, completely redo my screenplay that I originally had. But it, it made it so much better, like with real life experience, being out here, people, places and things. So it's been a journey. It's been tough, but it's been unbelievable. Yeah, I, I just something huge is coming for you, like in the best way possible. And so you just keep your heart on service and, and because that seems to really fulfill you. And uh, I'm going to go order this book like right after our conversation because I really want to read it. You know, when you just said that? Since I opened completely opened my heart and and just forgot about you know pushing my book, my clothes, I don't even advertise for life coaching in the last month or two, so many doors have opened for me, like people just reaching out and being like, "Listen, your story is you know unbelievable, whatever they say inspirational on. We want to do a documentary about you. They want to make a movie about me, right? Are they okay? Are that heads plugged in? <laughs> tell this, tell our listeners the story about you and me that you saw my Instagram. Yeah, I love I, that story. She liked. I think you liked one something I put up or something. And I and I saw her, and I was like, you know what? I would love because I saw the podcast thing, and I said I, that was that day. I was like, I was gonna send her a message, like I'd love to be on your podcast. You know, I want to spread my message, inspirational message. And I said, you know what? I don't want to be a haunt. You know what I mean? An hour later, I had a message from her saying, I love your inspirational message. But what I was going to say to her, she said to me, right? I, it's like I, I put it out to the universe. And, and I really think like positive people, positive vibes. We don't, we're not crossing this path for, for no reason. This was, this was meant to be. You know what oh, I mean? 100%. Me here to, yeah. Yeah, like I, didn't, I, I hang out in that abyss of the universe. So I just caught that desire. I must've just caught it and it just threw it right back at you. Yeah, and like today I was having an um, unbelievably bad day. I forgot my uh, earbuds, whatever they're called, uh, Bluetooth, whatever it is, right? I'm so bad at you know media and computers and all this new stuff to me because I had a flip phone when I went away. But anyways, I forgot it. And then I couldn't get on the original site. We were supposed to do the interview. And then BJ said, you know, if you want to cancel to another day, you know, we can. And I was like, you know what? You guys are the only ray of sunshine I can see today. Like we talked before and, and you get such positive vibes, and such good people. I was like, no, nah, I need to talk to you guys. Cheer up. And here I am. And I'm smiling again. 
Oh my God. I just, Thank my you. cheeks hurt from smiling at you. I just absolutely <laughs> love you so much. I want you to know that. PJ, um, be careful. I know. <laughs> I got to keep it close. You know, I'm a Boston girl at heart. I'm just saying. You're flying back east again? <laughs> I can give you some training sessions, Anthony. Um, all right. So. We want to rally around you. We love what you're doing. I love your story. As I just profess my love to you uh, over the air, <laughs> how can we support you? How can people, if, if this podcast is resonating with them, right? We don't want anybody to do anything out of obligation. If this is resonating with them, if they're like, whoa, I want, I want more of this guy, like, how can people um, help you build your community? I need followers on Instagram. I'm about to launch another Instagram page too. I'll let you know when I put that out. It's called Prisontology. I want to start helping guys in prison. So it's going to be a website and I'm going to make a, a um, Instagram page with it. And I'm going to promote my book on there also. And I'm going to try to, you know, to help people in prison, you know, get deals, writing books, whatever I can help them with. So I want to reach out to guys in prison and start giving back to them. Cause you know, in prison, you're, you're limited to resources. If you're in prison and you don't have anybody to send you stuff and all that, you're screwed. Thank God I have my mom. You know, I was fortunate, but you know, I want to start giving back to guys in prison too. But I'm also want to, like out here, I want to help people. If you need life coaching, I'm available. If you can't afford it, I, I can work with you, rates, whatever. You know, I mean, like I said, I haven't charged anybody a penny yet, but I got to survive. I got to live. You know, I mean, eventually I got to, you know, the well's going to run dry. And believe me, the well is pretty, pretty dry already. <laughs> you can't let, live this life on love. But, you know, I, I'm not looking for that 5,000 square foot house that I posted. I'm not looking for a Bentley. I'm happy driving my Jeep in my 1,000 square foot condo. But, I, you know, I'm concentrating on getting my book deal and my movie deal and a series deal. You know what I mean? I already got the book. I, I shouldn't say book deal, but I hope my I know my screenplay is going to sell. And just I, I want to do well. I want my mother in a household which handicap accessible. We live in a thousand square foot condo. My poor mother has a wheelchair that's a little, it's a little bit wide, but it's motorized. You would think a shock was in my condo biting the door frames because <laughs> we've got the skinny little door frames and the, the wheelchair just barely fits through. My mother's gone through so much. I just want to give her a nice home where she can pull a wheelchair into the shower and have her normal shower. You know, don't have to worry about door frames, like I said. Just like, so, you know, if somebody wants to buy my book, it's a masterpiece. You know, buy it. If you don't want to, don't. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I'm not looking, you know, I'm, I'm going to make my deal. I'm going to do my abundance. But to support me, you know, stuff like that. I have a great clothing line, the Convicted Vegan. You know, but I don't, like I said, if you look at my face, my uh, Instagram or Facebook page, I don't really promote anything because I already know, like, the universe is going to reward me you know so it's yeah. coming follow me it's coming. yeah it's yeah. coming and it's already and it's already, it's already here mm -hmm. you know it's it's already here it's and the rest of it's just streaming towards you so yeah i know that for the book for the screenplay for all of that like you're going to need to build that social media presence so you guys everybody who's listening get over to instagram and follow anthony bucci the convicted vegan for sure let's um let's rally around this ray of light throw that right back <laughs> at you anthony let's rally around him because this transformation is real and it's profound and um and i believe it's you know this turnaround is why you came here on this earth 
Um, so grateful to have you in our, like in our field and, and to, um, and to be connected with you. I feel really, really grateful. Thank you so much for all your time today. You guys, you guys, both of you are amazing. Relentlessly following our dreams. That's, that's all you can do. Never give up. Yeah. Never give up. Never give up. Be, be yourself. And that's what you can tell people too. I'm here to DM me if anybody's in a bad place. I was in the darkness so long. The darkness is like I told you, my heart was black at one time. Now it's ruby red. I'm full of love. I want to help people. You know, so that's what you can do. If you're in a bad place, reach out to me. Interact. I love interacting with people. I'm a gentleman. You know what I mean? I'm not like, you know, I was in prison for 20 years. No, I was raised right. I got four. I got Four, three daughters, my mom, four women in my life, and my girl, five women in my life, you know, female fa- family. My son, he's 19. He's raised right. He's had one girlfriend for four years. So, you know, I, I got surrounded by good, good people. So you don't have to worry. I, I, I'm, like I said, a gentleman. I interact well. You know, I don't want women to think, like, you know, if, if I'm having down and out, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to. To DM this guy because he was in prison for 20 or 19 years. I'm not like that. No, you know, I mean, people get funny. You can't blame them. Yeah, but that's not your alignment. They're not, they're not even going to come in. You're not even going to come into their awareness. You're so anti creep. Like, you're not a creep. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> you might I used have been to a be. ruthless thug. <laughs> <laughs> oh my no, gosh. I love dogs so much. I used to be one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have a question for you. This is, this is how I want to end it. So, you described yourself as a ruthless thug. How do you describe yes. yourself now? Compa- I always say it. Compassion is now my strength. I'm a gentleman all the way through. I'll help anyone, male or female or animal. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Awesome. Anthony, thank, thank you, you so Anthony. much for your time today. Again, all we're right. super grateful. I can't say it enough. And uh, let's stay connected for sure. Absolutely. Much respect. And when you come to Boston, BJ, come with her. We'll all go out. All right. Yeah, well, we're going to need a chaperone, you and me, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stay well, my friend. Okay. 